Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me again. Yay. Two weeks in a row. Can you believe it? <laughs> We're starting a pattern. So excited to have her back. Uh, recording solo is literally one of the most challenging things yeah, I've ever done I in my bet. entire life. And I have to say, I'm so happy to have Darcy back. We are going to start it out today talking about a couple of cases one that we've talked about on the show before, and another one is kind of just an interesting one that popped up because it's an Alabama case where Darcy is from. So I thought we would kind of chit chat about it because it's got some weird stuff going on in it. But the first thing that I want to talk about is we have talked about the Jennifer Dulos disappearance quite frequently here on the show. Actually, I think three times I've talked about yeah. it so far. So it's something that we've been deeply, deeply interested in and finding Jennifer's body and getting this case resolved. And the latest update on that had been that Fotis Dulos had been arrested and the DA had filed charges against him. And finally, they were charging him with murder. He'd had some previous charges for obstruction or something. Yeah. Interfering with the investigation, obstruction of justice and a bunch of other different things. And then they finally charged him with murder. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, it was not too long ago that they actually charged him. But evidently, like a hundred different news sources have come out and now said that Fotis Dulos is dead. Well, I just saw an article yesterday. Right, but the... the no, I, I found... Okay, so here's what it says. And then we can kind of walk through why we... Why or why not? We, we actually don't believe it. But the article that I pulled up for today is from CBS News, and it was Fotis Dulos, man charged with killing wife, pronounced dead. And this article is by Andre McNamara and Mola Lenke. And it evidently says Fotis Dulos, who was charged three weeks ago with killing his estranged wife, has been pronounced dead, according to his attorney, Norm Pattis. And the attorney came out and said this on Thursday. Evidently, Dulos... A- attempted suicide in his Connecticut home on Tuesday. His wife, Jennifer Dulos, obviously has been missing for many, many months and has still not been found. Police found him unresponsive Tuesday of this last week while sitting in his running vehicle inside the garage of his Connecticut mansion. He had been on house arrest after being released from jail on a $6 million bond in January. He had attempted to kill himself by carbon monoxide poisoning The police confirmed that he was pronounced dead in a statement Thursday night. The department said the body will will be sent to Manhattan to the medical examiner to determine the cause and manner of death and that the investigation is still ongoing. There is also drone footage believed to have captured the police reviving him with CPR in the driveway of his home. That's what they thought maybe he was going to still be alive. They had gone there after a welfare check when he failed to show up for an emergency bond hearing that day that would have sent him back to prison because they found out that the properties that he had put up to bail out of jail were in foreclosure and were not worth anything. So he was freaking out. And he was he knew he was going to go back to jail, but they tried to revive him for about 10 minutes and then they found a weak pulse and they flew him into a New York City hospital where he was placed on life support. And they conducted a search of his home relating to the ongoing murder investigation at that time as well. He left a note, a suicide note, evidently claiming he did not kill his wife and suggesting that his attorney had information that could prove his innocence. Police on Thursday issued a statement that the search warrant has been sealed by the court. 
But Fotostoulos was charged with murder and the disappearance of his estranged wife, Jennifer, as we've talked about previously. She was last seen May 2019. She had been dropping off her five children at school in May. According to his arrest warrant, police believe that Fotis drove, drove his employee truck to their home and waited for her to return. They found evidence of the cleanup in the family's garage. They saw, found blood on the faucet and in the garage. There was a lot of it, and it was mixed with his DNA. And then, according to the warrant, Dulos later had the employee's truck washed and detailed, removed the seats, had them changed, the whole deal, but the employee actually saved the seats. And they were later turned over to the police, and they had evidence on them as well. His ex-girlfriend and former... And his former friend, attorney Kent Mohini, I believe, were charged with conspiracy to commit murder in her death and were released on bail as well. They are both still going to stand trial despite Dulos's death. So his attorney is vowing to clear his name, but this is not looking real good for Fotis Dulos at this point. What do you think, Darcy? So the only thing that kind of catches me is that is the wording of it. It's not that I don't believe he tried to commit suicide or that he is dead i just get caught up when they say he's been declared dead that's different and then so those are the original reports is that he his lawyer said he'd been declared dead and then you have like you know the original reports and then somebody that reports from the original report and then it becomes that he is dead so it very well could be that he has been pronounced dead but it's weird that's just not usually what you get in a report like a news report you know like he like jeffrey epstein is dead so it wasn't he was declared dead you know it was so it's it's just interesting i'm wondering if he's not in a coma and he maybe is being declared right. has been declared brain dead but his heart's still beating you know what i mean like it doesn't look like he is going to survive it's just the wording is, is interesting so i'm just kind of like that's why i say like i'm just hesitant to be like well he's dead I mean, I do, you know, he might be, we might hear later that he actually has been dead this whole time. I don't know. It's just the wording is very peculiar to me and it's different than what you normally hear. So that's why it like kind of catches me that I'm like, well, I don't know. But that's not to say I don't think he faked it or anything yeah. like that. I do think he did, you know, have a suicide attempt and I do think he's been in the hospital. I just wonder if it's not a technicality more than anything. I thought it was shady. The original article that I read was not the article that I just uh, read off now. It was an article that said his attorney announced that he was dead, basically. Yeah. And to me, his, his attorney's already been in trouble for lying and for trying to cover things attorney. up. And he, yes, but he's had a history right. of attorneys trying to cover things up for him. And so it really made it seem as though something was not right. There it's was just, just weird. something slightly off about yeah. this. And I thought to myself, well, what what if he's just doing this to get pity, to elicit pity, sympathy from people and he's really not dead and he is going to be still tried for this case, but he's doing it as a way to kind of elicit sympathy from a potential jury pool. Those sorts of things just kind of popped up in my head. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm willing to go that far. I think I think it probably was a legitimate suicide attempt and he very well could be in a coma and he very well could actually be medically dead it's just the wording just catches me up and and the fact that it's being reported from his attorney and not from an official medical examiner report you know is the other thing right so so you think he's actually he's he may be brain dead but he's not officially dead yet that's what i'm kind of leaning toward i i think that like i do think he's probably not like with us like he's probably not coherent you know what i mean um or conscious but i I just I don't think it's like a fake thing. I don't think people who are innocent go and commit suicide and and 
in the face of all the evidence that was stacked up against this guy. It just really seems overwhelmingly like he was like, oh, crap, I'm going to be spending the rest of my life in prison. I need to end this now because I can't deal with prison. I've been used to this high roller type lifestyle with mansions and expensive cars. And now I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life in prison. I'm not down for that. And and I mean, yeah, that's a different conversation. I definitely think he's guilty. I, I always have. But, you know, he's also a little bit of a con man. I didn't know the thing about the 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 properties he put up for his bond. I didn't realize they were in foreclosure, which I think doesn't that mean they're like not technically his to put up? Correct. The bank now owns them. I mean, that's that's another thing. Like, how long has he been conning everybody, presuming he's wealthy when it doesn't seem like he was, you know? So... There's just a lot going on with this case. Right. And I think I talked about, I don't know if you were with me when I recorded this particular episode, but the, there was some information out about how he could not come up with the money to bail mm. himself out the first time when the police arrested him on the obstruction charges that he, it took him, yeah. I think a week or two to get the money together to, to bond out, even though his girlfriend was able to bond out immediately, which made it seem as though his business right. was in significant trouble. And there is some speculation. I read some other stuff that said that he was potentially, and again, people, this is speculation. This is, we don't know this for sure, but there was some information out there that said that he believed he was, he was in deep, deep, deep financial trouble with his business. And it was pretty much going under at the time that he allegedly killed his wife and that there was, he believed that if she was gone, that he would have access to the trust funds in his children's names in order to kind of have some money to survive. And that was his primary motivation yeah, for killing her. She would have to be declared dead for that to be the case. And she hasn't even been found yet, you know? So that's kind of interesting. Right, but I, th- I believe that if someone is missing for a certain amount of time, but it's if someone's missing for a certain amount of time, they but it's, are it's like years. allowed to declare it's them between dead. between five and seven years. So yeah. that would have been a long time. It yeah, doesn't make sense. I don't know that I'm buying that theory that it was because he wanted access to the trust fund. It seems like she would need to be found dead for that to have happened. But I'm not sure. And I don't even really think that's possible. I think that the grandparents are the ones that are allowed to administer it at this point or something to the effect where he it really wouldn't right. have worked anyway. But there's speculation that that is hmm. one of the reasons that he made Jennifer disappear. But in any case, uh, this case has a lot of twists and turns. And it is just very, very sad to me that this. Yeah. She was pretty young, too. Young mother of five children is basically taken from this earth and they still can't find her body. So they're unable to put her to rest. And it's just it's yeah. very deeply disturbing to me on many levels. And he should have never been allowed bail. I mean, that's crazy to me that like I know it was really high, but like that should he just should have never been able to bond out. That's just I don't know. I just completely disagree with that. Well, the fact that he to me, he seems like a flight risk as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so this case is very disturbing to me on many levels. And I, I honestly it's like nothing good can come from this at any point. Right now. It's just tragic the whole way around. And, and there's five kids that don't have either parent now, you know, and yeah. And now that he's gone. The chances of them finding her body have pretty much disappeared. Right. Unless the girlfriend, you know, is willing to talk or the or the the lawyer. I think his charge was like disposal of a body or something. It sounds like he I feel like his charge was something that indicated he knew information about where she was or something. Um, but unless one of them decides to talk, you know, and cut a deal. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's I think that the t- the chances of them cutting a deal at this point are good because he's gone. It's not like they're going to upset right, him. I don't think they would be 
better than than if he were still alive. Like the, ch- the chances that they would cut a deal. But at the same time, I don't think that Fotis Dulos would have been dumb enough to tell anybody else. I think he was smart enough to be like, hey, if I keep this to myself, then I can't implicate anyone else and there's no chances that somebody's going to double cross me. I mean, they may know that he did it, but I don't think he told them where he put the body. So you think he disposed of the body all alone? Even yeah. though wasn't the girlfriend with him when they were disposing of like the clothes and stuff in the garbage bags? Right, but not the body. He had right. the truck, the employee's truck. Right. Is what mm-hmm. he had. And then he came back with the truck. So, and again, all of this is alleged. We don't want right. any way want to say, you know, this is the definitive proof that this happened because we don't know that. The case has not gone to trial yet. But right. if he did, I don't think he would have said anything to anybody about where he put that body. I think he planned it meticulously. And I don't think he would have told anybody where he did mm. it. I think they would have known. Like, they, he, he probably had conversations with other people about the fact that he did do something to her. But I don't think he was specific about what he did hmm. because that's safer well, that way. Right. I hope that's not the case. I hope they're able to find her. Cause I do know. too. This is very sad. And the family, just, it's just so sad. Yeah. The family deserves the chance to be able to ha- give her a proper burial and, and put her to rest. Absolutely. So I think, um, the second article that I want to talk about today wasn't of the one about the Alabama woman, which I wanted to talk to you about. I kind of drew it aside earlier as soon as she disappeared. But then when I saw this update mm-hmm. to the article, I was absolutely blown away. Um, let me kind of cover off on this. It originally came out on GMA by Morgan Windsor being the author. The title of the article is Slain Alabama Woman Who Had Texted Friends She Was In Trouble Died of Accidental Overdose, Coroner Says. So... An Alabama woman whose body was found in a shallow grave two weeks after she went missing died from a drug opioid overdose, officials say. The Jefferson County Coroner and Medical Examiner's Office on Thursday concluded their investigation into the death of the 29-year-old Trussville native Peyton Houston. The cause of death was determined to be morphine and methamphetamine toxicity, and the manner of death was accidental, the coroner said in his report. The news comes one day after a suspect wanted in connection with Houston's disappearance and death was captured in Ohio following a weeks-long manhunt. Members of the U.S. Marshals Service Northern Ohio Violent Fugitive Task Force arrested Frederick Hampton, age 50, at a relative's home in Cleveland on Wednesday night. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Office in Birmingham, Alabama, had issued an arrest warrant for Hampton earlier this month for sex offender registration violations and abuse of a corpse horrifying. Authorities have said they have evidence that Hampton was with Houston on the night she vanished and that he disposed of her body after she died the next day. When Houston left a bar with two men in Birmingham on the night of December 20th, she texted one of her friends saying she didn't know who she was with and she felt like she was in trouble. And this was according to her brother who had an interview with the news media sources after she went missing. And it is unknown whether Hampton was one of the men Houston left the bar with that night, but her body was found January 3rd, wrapped in sheets and buried in a shallow grave behind a house in Hueyton, about 15 miles from the Birmingham bar where she was last seen. The home belongs to relatives of Hampton, authorities have said. Hampton will remain in custody in Cleveland until he can be extradited back to Birmingham. But after being convicted for rape and sodomy in 1992, Hampton served more than 20 years in prison. He was released in 2012, according to jail records. Tell me what you think, Dars. So she went, dis- she, she, she went missing 
prior to Christmas, right? About a week before Christmas? Correct. She went missing December 20th. That was about the week before I came home for Christmas. So it was obviously, it was it was very much in the news. And the the, the place that she was at is it is called the Tin Roof. And it's in the Lakeview District in Birmingham, which is a, is a nice area. It's very well lit. So it was very odd that somebody went missing at 1030 from the Lakeview District, which is a very well populated area for nightlife in Birmingham. And I'm sure there were a lot of people at that time, especially because it's right before yep. Christmas. People are probably home for from yep. school and like relaxing, having a vacation with their families. Yeah. So you know that there was probably quite a few people walking in and around. Right. That and area. actually, the Tin Roof is actually where we had the after party for my 10 year high school um, reunion years back. But um, so I've been, I've been to the Tin Roof. It's I mean it's like a it's a bar. They have a stage for like a band. It's a dance floor. I mean it's just a very chill, laid back place. So it was very peculiar. Is it a dive bar? No, it's not. I wouldn't say it's a dive bar. It's it's a casual bar. Um, it's not like a dress up okay. fancy nightlife bar, but it is not. I would. It's not a dive bar at all. But um, so it it was very peculiar that she went missing in the first place at ten thirty. That's a, that's pretty early when you're talking about going out, you know. So that that was right. peculiar. And then of course the text message that she sent and. Then for her to be found in Hueytown, which is, first of all, she's from Trustville, which is north, a little bit northeast of Birmingham. And then she was found in Hueytown, which is like west of Birmingham. So it's a little bit west of Birmingham is where Hueytown is. So she was clear in the other direction from where she lived, not only to have gone out in Birmingham, but then to have gone to Hueytown. So the whole thing was very peculiar. Right. So clearly somebody took her there. Right. And there's a lot of speculation, local gossip that I'm not going to get into, but it was reported on the local news that surveillance video did not actually show her leaving the bar with two men like it had been previously reported. What? So I don't, I haven't seen any surveillance. I don't know. That's just what, you know, local news has said. There was speculation she left alone or that she left with one person or like, well, I don't understand. Alone. Okay. So she had gone to the tin roof to go out with some coworkers. But basically after that, we don't know what happened. And so the house that she was found at was an abandoned house in Hueytown. And it turns out that the person who has been arrested for abuse of a corpse, it was his like grandfather's house or or uncle or somebody that he had previously, this man had previously lived there. They had moved him out into a assisted uh-huh. care or something like that. So the house was abandoned and that's where she was buried. So there's a connection between this man that was arrested and the house and the Birmingham Sheriff's Department or Jefferson County Sheriff's Department are saying that there seems to have been a, some sort of relationship between the man that was arrested and Peyton. They're not saying what it is. They don't know what oh, it is, wow. but it does seem like they knew each other in some kind of way. But that's all they're really that's okay. all we really know about it. So, you know, initially it was a woman that went missing. She texted her friends that she felt like she was in danger. She supposedly left with two men, but then you have surveillance cameras perhaps showing otherwise, and then she was not in fact murdered. She died of of a, an opioid overdose. And if you're if you're not aware, heroin, when you overdose on heroin, it is classified in the autopsy as a morphine toxicity. Okay. So hero, heroin metabolizes as morphine in the body. Wow. So it was a mix of either morphine or heroin and methamphetamines that she apparently had used at some point in the night and overdosed. And then we don't, but we don't know what happened. So it's a very peculiar story that I'm kind of trying to keep an eye on because 
it's not the nefarious story. It doesn't seem to be the nefarious story that it originally started with. You know what I mean? I just wonder if perhaps he provided, Hampton provided her with the drugs and didn't necessarily kill her or do anything bad per se, but then she overdosed and he already knew Mm -hmm. he had a criminal record. And he immediately thought to himself, they're going to come after me. I'm going back to jail. I have a criminal record. Like, I've already been in jail sure. for a long period of time. I don't want to go back. I'm just going to hide this and hope that it goes away. Like, he really had no responsibility for it, but he just, he knew she was dead because he'd, he, she right. was o- overdosed and he knew what the symptoms looked like and right. tried to get rid of the body to cover it up and keep himself safe. And again, and they're not saying what the relationship was. It very well could have been that he supplied the drugs. They could have just been friends and they were using together. Yeah. But it is not uncommon. I mean, you hear all the time about somebody overdosing or somebody thinking their friend overdosed and instead of taking them to the hospital, they're worried about get themselves getting in trouble so they don't do anything. Right. You know, that's a really common yeah. story. So that could have been what happened. We, the basic, basically, we just don't know what happened. But it's it's taken a lot of twists and turns from the original story, which was nefarious and scary. And it doesn't seem that that's necessarily how it played out. But I don't. We don't know. I mean, basically, we don't know. So we'll have to see what happens with this with this Hampton. Well, there's not a lot of information on her either. Was she was she a habitual drug user? We don't know. It's it's a very right. There's no there's very little information in the public about it. But there's also you know Carol, Carol Robinson who I've referenced before. She works for she writes for AL.com. She's the crime journalist for Birmingham for AL.com. She's been writing a lot of stories mm-hmm. about this. I think I talked about her at, during the Cupcake McKinney stories. But right. um, she's she's coming out with with you know some articles and so just keep an eye on her and some you know AL.com if you want to follow. So yeah, just keep an eye on that. Okay. I'll be following it for sure. And we'll you know obviously we'll update either on the show or on our social media or whatever what we find out. But it's an interesting one. It's definitely interesting. Oh, for sure. And then jumping right into the main case for the week, I'm actually going to talk about the case of Bill Hall Jr. And this is a relatively unknown case as far as I can see. Like, I had never heard of it before I heard this. And I got a lot of information from, I believe it was Dateline NBC. I think they did an episode on him. But this is an interesting case because evidently Bill Hall Jr. was a pretty prosperous guy, well-known in the San Antonio, Texas area. Okay. I like San Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. He had a trucking company there and he had a home around Alamo on Riverwalk. There were three generations of truckers in the Hall family. And this is pretty much how he grew up is in a trucking family. Bill Hall Jr. met Francis, his wife, and fell in love at age 16, which is super, super young. Evidently, they met in school and like instantly clicked fell in love and they married right after high school. One year after that, their daughter Nikki was born and they were very, very loving, good parents. Four years later, they had their son, Justin. According to all friends and family, it looked like these guys had a great relationship, Bill and Francis. And they're both their parents made it their goal to give their kids a better life than they had had, although it doesn't seem that Bill Hall Jr. had that rough of a life growing up, coming from a trucking family. I mean, they probably made some decent money, particularly for the San Antonio area, because sure. it's less expensive to live there. But Bill initially worked cleaning airplanes. He was in college because he wanted to make a better life for himself and his family. And then he would do odd tasks and and hard work on the weekends like digging ditches at times so he could make as much money as possible for his family bill hall jr trucking was born when bill decided to quit school and do what was in his blood 
So this was in the early 80s. He was like, I'm done. I can't keep working all these jobs and go to school to try to do this. I'm just going to do what I know, and that is trucking. So he buys his first truck in the 1980s and starts delivering topsoil. And that was like his bread and butter. And Francis was working the phones, booking jobs for him. And then a few years later, they just bought more trucks and more trucks and more trucks until they got up to about 130 trucks. Whoa. Evidently, that's more than $15 million in value. And that was for all the hard work that they'd put into it. They had built this company basically from one truck all the way up. Really worked very, very, very hard to make this business successful for their family. Bill loved racing, hunting, and he was a known flirt. Mm. So he was very, very popular with the ladies, but he kind of had this work hard, play hard mentality and super, super passionate about motorcycles. So he would be out there on the weekends on his Harley riding around. And that was one of the things that he indulged himself in and spent a little bit, a little bit of money on was bikes. So his friends said that he was a really awesome guy, but he was not. Perfect, And I think we kind of get into that little bit of the flirtatiousness and how he would kind of get himself into trouble with the ladies. And after 32 years of marriage with Francis, Francis finds out for certain, and I have a hard time with this part of it, and I'll kind of talk about that in a second, but Francis finds out that he is cheating on her. Okay. Mm. So this is September 13th, 2013, and it's a Friday, and Francis gets a call from a woman named Bonnie Contreras, who says she's having an affair with Bill. Now, Francis is obviously heartbroken and furious, and she confronts Bill, and Bill confesses to everything, says it's been three years that he's been having this relationship with Bonnie, and that it was just like an innocent, harmless relationship. And at that hmm. point, Francis is like, I don't think so. This is not a fling. You've been with this woman for three years. This is a full-blown relationship. Now, I have a hard time believing this is the first time she's found out that he's cheated on her. If they've been together for 32 years, right, and he's well-known to be a ladies' man, he has probably done this sort of thing before now. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. That's not a thing. Like, you don't start cheating with a three-year relationship. And you don't just say, hey, this woman that I've been seeing for three years, oh, this is just a fling. (laughs) you've been seeing her for three years (laughs) that's a full-blown relationship but anyway i don't think that's really up for debate at all but bonnie and bill met when bonnie was selling chicken on a stick at a spinach festival okay there's a lot happening in that sentence (laughs) right right it's hard to spit that out i think for a second but she (laughs) was working for a family friend who or a family member or something of that nature who was selling chicken at this festival and she was kind of helping out She was a 28-year-old single mom. She was 20 years younger than Bill. And Bill passed by. He had no wedding ring on. So Bonnie thinks he's single. And he approaches her and it is on like Donkey Kong. They spend nearly every day together after that, which how does Francis not see this? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Not her. Right. Like, what are you doing? Like, how are you? Yeah. How do you not expect your wife to find out? Evidently, he had this big trucking company, and he really didn't need to drive the trucks anymore, Mm. so it sounds like he had his days free. Evidently, Bonnie says that Bill told her he was separated from his wife and that they were going through a divorce. And she says she believed him, that he was lavishing her with gifts and spa days and vacations. He got her breast implants, and he also got a five-carat diamond ring. 
Oh At that God. point, she says, hey, I know my future's with this guy. He has showered me with money. He bought me two cars. She has a Mercedes Benz and a BMW from her, and he is also paying her rent. Wow. So she has no reason to believe at that point that he's not being honest with her, right? I mean, why would you pay for all this? And yeah, Well, also, you want to believe it. Yes. At the same time, Jesus Christ. Bonnie denies calling Francis. So remember... Francis says Bonnie called her and told her that she was having a relationship with Francis's uh-huh. hubby, Bill, and that Francis knew for years about their relationship and that they had spoken before on the phone about financial arrangements and the divorce and who was going to keep what things. Okay. Cause obviously uh-huh. with Francis and Bill being married for 32 years, they have quite a substantial number of assets at that point. And Bonnie says that they had had conversations, her and Francis, about who was going to keep what and how they were going to be dividing those assets. Although I don't understand why Francis would be talking with Bonnie about division of assets. I would be yeah, like, that doesn't... I'm not having a conversation with you. This is not between you and me. This is between me and my husband, right? Well, and, and a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, essentially. So Bonnie claimed she didn't want any of the money or properties or the business or anything. Bonnie, the girlfriend. right (laughs) like bonnie is all that stuff that he already bought her yeah exactly bonnie has like two cars he's paying her rent like he's paying for everything she wants he got her boob job like he's buying her purses and expensive jewelry like and she doesn't want anything from him right maybe she meant she didn't want anything additional like extra from him i don't know i mean i don't want i don't want to sound like i'm too much on one side because that's too much of my opinion so i apologize if i'm sounding critical on that but anyway The women had never met, according to friends and relatives, but they were telling Bill, his relatives, to ditch Bonnie. She was a gold digger. Get rid of this girl. Francis is your wife. Like, you've been with her for 32 years. Don't ruin your marriage. Don't ruin your business over this woman that clearly is nothing more than just, like, a little side piece for you. And at that point in time, Francis threw Bill out. And she was like, I'm done. I can't deal with this anymore. You've cheated on me. I caught you. Blah, blah, blah. So they go back and Mm -hmm. forth and Bill just kind of drifts back and forth between these two women. And it looks like he can't make up his mind. Later, friends and family say Bill was over Bonnie by about 2013 and he had been avoiding her. But October 9th, 2013, this is when an altercation happens. Bill and Francis have this huge argument she is extremely irritated with him because she basically he's over at the house for some reason and maybe they're back together by that point and she Mm -hmm. is having an argument with him because he seems to think everything that she says is funny you know have you ever had an argument with somebody like that where you're serious and you're pissed off infuriating yeah so she's it's infuriating (laughs) they're having one of those kinds of arguments and bill is laughing at her Mm. and she's like i am done so You're about to catch these hands if you laugh at me. Right. Serious. She pulls his hair and she's smacking him a little bit, which uh, by no means am I condoning. I don't think it's acceptable for a woman or a man to engage in domestic violence of any sort. But she's pushed. She pushed his motorcycle down. She pulls his hair. She's lashing out at him. They get into this huge argument. She lashes out at him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then he takes off. So she is out driving because she has errands to do. And she sees, Mm -hmm. as she's driving her car in San Antonio, Texas, she sees Bill on his Harley 
and she sees Bonnie following him in the couple's Range Rover. So this Range Rover belongs to Bill and Francis, and she sees Bonnie what? driving her Range Rover. She has a Mercedes and a BMW, and she needs to drive Francis and Bill's car. Correct. Got it. So okay. Francis, after just having this huge blowout with her husband and seeing her husband's little fling in her Range Rover, is understandably very upset. And yeah. I believe that he was in a Cadillac Escalade is what I want to say, because that was the okay. couple's other vehicle. And okay. she sees Bonnie behind the wheel in this car. And she said she made eye contact with Bonnie and that Bonnie flipped her off. OK, that's her claim. OK, okay. we don't know because the mm-hmm. only ones that know what happened there are Bonnie and Francis. But evidently at that period mm-hmm. in time, Francis called her daughter Nikki and said that she is going to follow Bonnie and confront her. She says, I'm done with this. I'm so over all of this BS, all of this drama with this woman. I'm going to confront her. We are going to have it out once and for all. I don't think there was any indication necessarily that there was going to be some sort of violent confrontation where somebody was going to die, anything of that nature. Okay. But she's going to confront Bonnie. She's going to have a conversation with her. So she turns her Cadillac Escalade around yeah. and chases the Range Rover. Which, and, and let me just say, sorry, let me just interrupt to say, like, by the t- if somebody, regardless of the scenario, if somebody I know and I, like, know doesn't like me, if they turn around their car and start following me, I'm now thinking I'm in danger. I'm going to call the mean? police if I see something like that happen. Right. But, I mean, that's just me. Right. So, like, just kind of to give Bonnie's perspective again okay. on that, just, like, she's probably also then got started to get scared, you know? I would be, too, if I'm driving in her car and she's following me in another car. But at the same time, I'm like, uh, did they really know that it was each other? Like, was it? I don't know. Right. Anyway. Right. She's... Uh, Francis says she's going about 65 to 70 miles per hour chasing Bonnie and she's kind of signaling to Bonnie to pull over. But she says Bonnie is repeatedly slamming on the brakes and kind of forcing her to stop rapidly. And that at the same time, her and Bill have been completing a home renovation project and there is a large slab of granite in the back of the Mm. Escalade. So every single time that Francis has to slam on the brakes because Bonnie slams on the brakes, this slab of granite in the back of the car is just flying around and making a lot of noise. Okay. If you can imagine that, like the sound of a large piece of granite hitting the front and back of the car repeatedly, it's, it's loud. (sighs) It's already loud enough when you've got right a, a vehicle of that size but to have something in the back that's just being flung around as large as a piece of granite is also loud but right anyway bonnie at that point is again stopping going stopping going which doesn't make sense to me you wouldn't think i think she from what it, every indication it sounds like bonnie was trying to get francis to hit her to ram the car mm. so she could have justification for being like this woman's trying to kill me but Clearly, Francis has got 100% tunnel vision at this point. She only wants to have this confrontation with this woman. She's just signaling for her to pull over. Let's talk. Let's get this out in the open. But evidently, during this whole time, Bill is riding his Harley motorcycle next to these two women, trying to kind of get them to stop, you know, pull over. Like, let's resolve this. Like, I don't, you know, let's not fight kind of a situation. He's on his motorcycle between two women in an SUV. Oh my gosh. Okay. Like that that just to me spells absolute trouble. With a piece of granite in the back of, of yeah. one of the SUVs. So initially I mean. Bill has 
in front of Bonnie, when this whole thing starts out, Bonnie is following Bill, who's on his motorcycle in front, but mm-hmm. he pulls over and slows down back to where Francis is, and he's to the right of Francis, okay? So he's mm-hmm. essentially like, hey, you know, we've got to got to stop this craziness, and he's next to Francis trying to get her to slow down to stop chasing the mm-hmm. Range Rover. Bonnie breaks again, and Francis hears this thump, and she thinks it's the granite, and then Bill disappears at that point. Oh, no. And... Bonnie is like, okay, um, I'm going to turn around because I don't see him anymore. I'm going to go turn around and check on him. So Bonnie does a U-turn, Bonnie the girlfriend, Uh and takes off down the road to what she thinks where Bill is. And people are are calling 911 at that point, reporting that these two women are driving 90 to 100 miles per hour, chasing Uh each other. And an off-duty police officer even sees them on the wrong side of the road. Whoa. Frances at that point just suddenly kind of has this moment where she realized that her third row passenger window is broken and that there's wind whistling through that window and she can't see Bill either. So Bonnie's already realized Bill is gone and she's turned the car around, but Frances suddenly realizes, hey, something's going on. My window's broken. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. She calls her daughter and a few other people and she turns her car around too. And Connie, who is Frances's sister, finds Bill on the side of the road before the other two women could turn around and get to him. And he has crashed and he is in critical oh condition. And this is a two lane highway. So Francis is like, I only wanted to confront Bonnie. I don't know what's going on. The police are immediately okay. on the scene and they grab Francis because she's the one that has damage to her vehicle. So they're, they're immediately ascertaining mm-hmm. that Francis has caused damage to Bill. She's run him off the road. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... The the police and the paramedics find Bill on the side Mm -hmm. of the road, and he is in critical condition, as I mentioned earlier. He has massive internal injuries. His boots have been knocked off. That's how hard he was hit. And they pull him into a helicopter. He's got no helmet Mm. on. He's got major blunt force injuries. And despite the fact that he's got these huge injuries, he's talking to his wife at this time. And, you know, baby, come with me to the hospital. Don't leave me alone. And the cops handcuff Francis. Um, can I can I interrupt you for a second? Was he not wearing a helmet at all, or the helmet got knocked off in the accident? It says there's no helmet. They don't see a helmet anywhere. Holy crap! Okay. So I don't think he was wearing a helmet. Either that, or he had been hit so violently right. and so hard that that helmet flew off, and they couldn't find it. Which to me is horrific. It would have had to have been a massive collision for his helmet to be thrown off to the point where they could no longer find yeah. it. Don't you think? Yeah. It kind of sounds like he wasn't wearing one at all. Yeah, well, in any case, he's suffering some significant injuries, and it is not looking good for him. And the cops obviously handcuff Francis, and she insists she didn't know she hit him. But it's obvious to the police that you hit this man, okay? The family thinks Bill's okay. I mean, Mm -hmm. they know he's injured, but they're like, hey, he's been in a lot of accidents before. This guy has been riding his entire life. He's going to be fine. He just needs to get to the hospital. They need to take care of him. He's going to be okay. But... Bill dies of his injuries, October 10th, 2013. Mm. And at that point, police take Frances into the station for questioning. Mm -hmm. And she's in complete denial. They also take Bonnie into the station. And she claims that Bill's death was no accident and that Frances hit him on purpose. Mm. Obviously, we've got a major standoff there because it's it's pretty clear to the police that Frances hit him. Whether she did it on purpose or accidentally there's still going to be some charges as far as they are concerned. And 
Bonnie is saying that she and Bill had planned to attend a bike rally the next day and that they had stopped to get Bill's bike from storage and that they had been driving the Range Rover when they when they stopped to pull the, the bike out of storage and that Bonnie was just driving the Range Rover to return it back while Bill was on his bike and that Francis had come from the opposite direction just by chance that this whole thing was like a huge misunderstanding until Francis flew off the handle and got all crazy. Hmm. Bonnie's story, though, when she's talking to the police, like, obviously, to me, she's spicing yeah. it up to make it look, to make Francis look as bad as possible, because she keeps slipping in lines like, they pulled up next to each other at the light, and Bill allegedly says, I love you so much, I'm so happy. So, like, she's adding all these little things about what Bill allegedly told her that day, I love you so much, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, just sappy stuff. She's throwing that into the interview to try to make it look like Bonnie is like his mm-hmm. true love and that he was going to get rid of Francis and that Francis was jealous that she was being right. removed from Bill's life and that that was her incentive to right. kill him. Bonnie also claims that Francis kept ramming her and even gave her the finger and that she had never provoked Francis and that Francis had rammed her several times in her car. Was there car. any damage to the car? <laughs> and that's the thing. There really isn't. Okay. Um, she also claims her purse flew onto the floor because she'd been hit so hard and that she was chasing Bill and she had been deliberately hit behind from Francis, which the I don't think the evidence really played out in the way that she said it had. Yeah, that's a pretty easy thing to prove. Yeah. So it's clear that these two women are telling very, very different versions of the story. Both women are crying hysterically getting very dramatic and I think both were probably overacting at that point trying to save themselves and I get it I understand it happens Mm -hmm. you don't want to get in trouble you realize you did something stupid and you're just like oh my god I can't believe I did this like we've all been in that situation Mm -hmm. but the district attorney files charges against Francis no charges were filed against Bonnie by the way but the charges that were filed were aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and felony murder against Francis okay Scary. But Francis claims that Bonnie was obsessed and that Bill told her he wanted out of the relationship but couldn't get rid of Bonnie. She also claims that Bonnie ruined her family. She was a gold digger, a stalker, a liar. She was manipulating Bill for years and that Bill had laid all of it out on the table and told her everything. So Francis is like, I knew everything. There, nothing was being hidden from me. Very, very, very sticky situation. The family insists mm-hmm. that Bonnie told them that she was trying to get back at Bill by confronting Francis because Bill wouldn't give her money for a manicure that day. What? And they also say oh that if the, if the family went on a vacation, the Bonnie needed to go on one too. And then she'd, she'd been stalking the whole family on Facebook. She'd created fake profiles to see what everybody was doing so that she could use that information to manipulate Bill. So both Francis and her daughter, Nikki claimed that Bill told them he wanted to break up with Bonnie and that when he did, Bonnie threatened to spill his dirty laundry and she said that she had over 2,000 pictures of Bill and that she had been using them to manipulate him. She also knew schedules Mm. of where his kids lived and she'd followed everyone, including Francis, behind them in a theater at one time, sat behind them in a theater. She just, they, they paint this picture that Bonnie was like obsessed and stalking and doing all kinds of crazy things. They also say that the breast implants that Bonnie got were in exchange for an abortion. Oh. So she got pregnant with Bill's child and basically blackmailed him. Like, I'll have an abortion if you get me breast implants. Yikes. Breast implants. 
and that this woman was a stripper. She had had affair, a lot of affairs with married men previously. So this was like her MO. Okay. They said. But Bonnie is like, hey, yeah, I was a stripper at one point. And the abortion, the stalking, all of that never happened. So she's like, okay, I, I'm willing to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, I did have kind of a shady past. And I did this at one point. But I I never had an abortion. And I never stalked anyone. Well, and, and being a stripper doesn't make you have a, that's not a shady past. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It just it's, no, no, it no. Sounds... Her steady past, as far as dating married oh, men oh, 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 oh. and like maybe having some unsavory gotcha. sorts of relationships, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Just to make that clear, yeah. not talking about stripping okay. because there are a lot of women that do exotic yeah. dancing and stripping and things like that, and, and that doesn't make them criminals. Right. Okay. Perfect. Good. So then, one week prior to Bill's death, the two women had been texting. So they see they look at these women's phones and they see that. Francis is trying to work things out with Bill, but Bonnie's trying to get access to the room that Bill and Francis are sitting in. They went to a hotel room to kind of talk things out and discuss their marriage. Okay. And you can see from the texts between these two women that Bonnie's trying to get into this hotel room that Francis and Bill are sitting talking in. She's like, clearly like, I need to get in there. She actually goes to the front desk and ask them to get into the room. And they're like, well, you're not his wife. You're not on the guest right. list. You can't go into that room. We're not going to give you a key to go into that right. room. And she is asked by security to leave. Okay? okay. This is one week prior to the death. And then Francis claims that Bonnie texted her sex pictures that are very, very graphic of her and Bill having sex. Mm. And B- Bonnie admits to, ha- to sending texts to Francis, but she claims she never sent any pictures. That she just texted back and forth and that Bill had actually grabbed the phone and sent some of the messages. And Mm -hmm. that Bonnie actually also sent pictures of the house and Francis's car to kind of show, hey, I know where you live. I know what you have. I know how I can get back at you. This is is scary. Which is frightening. There are literally hundreds of texts between these two women back and forth. And this is one week before the road rage car chase happens. But... Three years later, Francis Hall goes to trial. So it takes him three years Mm -hmm. to take this to trial. Bonnie is the star witness for the prosecution. She basically is giving the story that this was a deliberate rage-filled accident and that nasty messages were left on her phone telling her that they were going to get her back and that revenge was going to be had, those sorts of things. But the defense team says the investigators took info from Bonnie and there was no expert evidence to back up the claims that the car had been rammed from behind. Right. And interestingly enough, neither woman called 911. So if you feel like you were in so much danger from this woman who's going to get revenge on you and who's chasing you in her right. car exceeding the speed limit, then why didn't you call 911? Right. So that seems a little suspicious. Um, The police, or excuse me, the purse flying forward thing supports the story that she slammed on the brakes, not that she was rammed. Because if you get hit from behind, the trajectory of an item that is sitting in your front seat would be back. Whereas if you slam on the brakes, everything flies forward, right? So clearly her story is maybe not as true as the prosecution would like people to believe. Experts also say that hitting a bill from behind because Bonnie claims that Francis hit bill from behind and that's how he flew off the vehicle. But evidence shows that he collided with the side of Francis's SUV, which is how her back window got broken. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that really shows more the prosecution or excuse me, the defense really believes that shows more of an accident rather than Mm -hmm. purposeful 
because mm-hmm. Bonnie had claimed and the prosecution had claimed that she had rammed him from behind and that's how he went flying off the road. But that is not indeed not what happened. Mm-hmm. The jury deliberates and September 8th, 2016, they come back with a verdict. She is guilty of murder and aggravated assault. Then the sentencing begins and they choose mm-hmm. the jury for that. And this is really tricky because at that point, everybody is on edge they did not believe necessarily that the jury was going to find her guilty. There is one little caveat here. There is something called a sudden passion clause. And the defense decides to use it in this particular case. And this is if you were immediately provoked to a degree of anger that could make an ordinary person incapable of cool and calm reflection, you can use this defense to sort of mitigate the circumstances and lessen the sentence. If you use the sudden passion clause, which Francis says that's what gripped her when she saw Bill and Bonnie together, it allows for a reduced sentence as few as two years in prison. So you can only use this during the sentencing phase, not the guilt phase. Correct. It is used to mitigate the sentence and to limit the sentencing. So you go from a prison sentence of 20 years to two years. Okay. But Francis testifies in her own defense and claims that this is a textbook example of sudden passion. She chooses a jury trial because she knows that she can sort of work the whole emotional angle as opposed to a judge who may not be so, you might not be able to manipulate him with emotion as much as you can jurors. Yeah. Right. So she she chose a jury trial. They go through three hours of deliberation and Francis gets a two year sentence. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So she could have gotten 20 years in prison, 20 years of life, but instead she got two years. Wow. She was released September 7th, 2018 from jail. She says this is a new chapter in her life. She's got a new beginning and she regrets her decisions that the 32 years she had with Bill was very real and that what they had was true love, not what he had with Bonnie. Bonnie was just a fling. She claims she had the perfect love with Bill, except for the whole Bonnie thing. And the reporter, it's funny because she's doing an interview and she's like, yeah, we had this amazing marriage. Everything was so perfect with Bill. And the reporter jumps in and says, except for the fact that he cheated on you. <laughs> and she's like, right. oh, well, 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 I mean, that, no one's perfect. With like a long-term relationship. Yeah. Right. But interestingly enough, Francis won the right to collect about $310,000 in insurance money after the case. Hmm. That was not the end of it though. The children bills two children. Cause the company basically after he was gone, sort of started to tank a little bit and the children sued each other. Oh boy. The son, Justin said that the daughter, Nikki took trucks and assets and hid them from him. Cause the two were supposed to split the family's estate mm-hmm. and that's not really what happened. But there was also a lawsuit from the state of Texas for environmental agency use of money Okay. That was also settled for $160,000. That was a lawsuit that the state had filed against him because he was given money from the environmental uh-huh. agency to buy new environmentally friendly trucks. And he didn't do it within mm. the t- allowed time period. So they sued him and they settled out of court for $160,000. But the original lawsuit was $475,000. And that was supposed to have been used for low emissions trucks. And Bill never used that money for low emissions okay. trucks that he was given right. by the state. So that lawsuit was actually settled as well. So there were like lawsuits flying left and right in this. And then additionally, Bonnie is trying to sue Francis for 2.5 million for intentional infliction of emotional distress and bodily injury. Yikes. That case is still pending as of today. Wow. That is, 
there's so much going on in that story right like peeling that one apart is like an onion yeah. with just so many layers i would love to see the accident accident reconstruction of that right i mean the fact that she hit him with the side of her vehicle like and knocked him off the road and then didn't really know she hit him to me is just yeah. it's a little bit unbelievable well, but if you think about the, you have the granite in the back of the car, so that's moving and that's that's bumping the car. You're feeling those bumps every time you slam on the brakes or take a sharp turn or something. She could have right, felt but, it and thought that that was him, like thought that that was the granite. I don't know. I mean, I'm speculating when I say this. This is my opinion. This is not fact. But I believe she was so pissed that she hit him. I don't think she intended to kill him. I don't think she intended to necessarily hurt him bad. But I think she hit him. I think she really? was pissed. And then she hit him harder than she intended. Obviously, she's in a huge SUV going very, very fast. Yeah. And you hit somebody, there's going to be some major damage. But I don't think she was thinking about, oh, I'm going to hit him and it's going to cause this major damage. I think she was just enraged. I don't know. I kind of feel like it wasn't, it was an accident. I just, I don't know. I mean, just hearing you tell me the story for the first time, I didn't know the story, just kind of makes me, I kind of feel like it was an accident, but I don't. So do you think he was trying to break up with Bonnie? No, I think he was probably lying. I think he was probably lying to both of them. Wow. Yeah. You know, and trying to keep, eat his cake and eat, have his cake and eat it too. But like, I think he was probably lying to both of them. But I'm surprised, honestly, that Bonnie didn't get like a reckless driving charge or anything, you know, because she wasn't, yeah. it's not like she was. Especially since the police, the witnesses saw right. her driving fast too. And including an off-duty police officer. He saw her as well. And driving on the wrong side of the road, right? So, I yeah. mean, that's, that should be a reckless driving charge or something. But I don't know. It's That's a that's messy. Yeah, but neither one of them got a reckless driving right. charge. <laughs> she just got, like, the right. murder. <laughs> and that was it. And they went straight for the jugular. They didn't even mess around with those lesser Gosh, charges. That's just... And how do the kids feel about whether or not the mom did it intentionally? Do you know? The kids don't think the mom did it intentionally. The kids think that it was an accident right. and that essentially that Bill was trying to break up with Bonnie and that Bonnie wouldn't let him and that she was hanging on to him and trying to kind of be vengeful and that that's what caused this whole thing. That yeah. She shouldn't have been driving in the, in their mm. mother's car and that she did that deliberately to inflame yeah. her and so forth. The kids are behind the mom. I mean, they're sad their dad okay. is gone, but the kids are definitely behind their mom and sure. supportive of her. And they, they don't think that she did this intentionally. They think it was just an awful accident. And it's, it is. It's an awful accident. I mean, you could never imagine that something that terrible would come out of an altercation like that. But at the same time, you've yeah. got these two, you know, very emotional, hot-blooded women who are just there. You can tell that prior to this whole thing, they were both spicy latinas basically you know and they're not taking well, uh, either one of them was going to take any crap from anybody and and they, they had a history of egging each other on like Absolutely. neither one was willing to de-escalate yeah they had a long history of sort of edging each other into this anger zone yeah. and just really kind of yeah pushing 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 each other with the text hundreds of texts between them two and granted bonnie claims that you know Bill grabbed the phone and sent some of them, and and Francis Francis that. claims that Bill sent some on her phone, and like there's all kinds of stories flying back that. and forth. But I'm pretty sure that enough of those texts were sent directly from those two women to one another that it was, um, yeah, for a sure. sticky situation to say the least, and one that would inflame anyone if you're getting nasty grams from the other woman. Sure. 
yeah, or from the wife. Just, when you think he's splitting up with the wife and he's going to be with you, he gives you a five carat diamond ring and you're thinking you're going to have a life together. And all of a sudden the wife texts you. I mean, it's going to be traumatic yeah. either way you look at it on both sides of the coin. Right. And it just, right. it was a bad situation. I think that Bill put these women in anyway. I mean, I get it. You have a 32 marriage. Yeah. A th- you have a 32 year marriage with this woman, but at the same time, you shouldn't be with her still and let her think that this is going to continue if you want to be with this other woman. you got to make a break. I know you. it sucks and you've got to split the assets and you've got to divide the company. But if you want to be with this other woman and you're taking the time and energy to make her believe you have a future with her, then you need to break that marriage right. off and start again. Period. Right. Like you, you just you can't be so financially tied to you can't be so tied to your money that you're not willing to make changes to your personal life when it comes to like this level you know what yeah. i mean like it's just not clearly it's not worth it he ended up he died you know i don't think he deserved to die so, but at the same time it's like hey no, no, you, know, no. you have you had a little part in this because you created this anger and this bad situation between these two women and you've got to take some responsibility for that he didn't help the situation he he really didn't help the situation he just at all. i mean right like Either either figure out a way to divide the assets, you know, which clearly were of a substantial financial sum, or or break it off with this other woman that you shouldn't have been having an affair with in the first place. Like you can't you you can't do you can't have it all. Like you, yeah, it doesn't work that way. So you, like you just yeah, it's, um, it is. it's very unfortunate. It, and somebody though. lost their life. I mean, honestly, how many people's lives are ruined? You know, he lost his life. She, the wife went to prison. You know, Bonnie has all of this other stuff going on with her life. The kids, you know, lost a dad and lost a mom for two years. I mean, it's just like the ripple effects of this are so great. And I don't think enough people think about stuff like that. So now before we wrap things up for the day, we are going to read a couple of emails. I'm going to give you some warm feelings. Are you ready for this? Brace yourself. Oh, boy. I don't know. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so here's the first one that came in a few weeks ago. Hi, Sarah and Darcy. I've really enjoyed the podcast so far, and I have binge listened to all the episodes so far. First of all, I think you Yay. guys are great. But when is Darcy coming back? <laughs> it's, it's not that I don't like Sarah on her own, but the banter between you two is so much fun. <laughs> Second, <laughs> second, can you guys do some more San Diego cases? Thanks for all of your great content, Kim from San Kim yes. from San Diego. Okay, so first of all, this email came in before we did the mixed day case, which is cool because I'm glad that we did the mixed day case. Yeah, that is a San Diego case, so we complied with her request on that. But thank you so yep. much for your kind words, and yes, we are so glad that Darcy's back because, again, like I said earlier, recording on my own sucks. So thank you. Thank you, Kim yeah. from San Diego. Thanks, Kim. Okay, here is another one. This one actually came in four days ago. Hi, girls. We totally remember this case and the craziness surrounding it. The family lived in our neighborhood, and it was so freaky to hear about them disappearing. Whoa, Whoa right? So, again, they lived in Fallbrook, evidently. After that, a lot of us made sure we kept our doors locked and looked out for some crazed murderer. Mm. So glad to hear the perpetrator of this crime will spend the rest of his life behind bars. Absolutely. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, McStay family. Steve and Angela. Wow. Crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. And Fallbrook is really that kind of area. It, it's one of those where you don't necessarily feel like you have to lock your door all the time, you know? It's so peaceful out there. It's so peaceful. It is. Like, everything is yeah. kind of quiet and more laid back. And, like, there's lots of beautiful mm-hmm. houses out in the country. And you just don't think of it being an area where there would be criminals running around crazy. Mm-mm. But, 
And I also heard from somebody that I used to, and one of my old coworkers lives out in the Fallbrook area as well. And he said that they remembered this case as well. And that yeah. the McStay family lived literally down the street from them. Gosh. And I was wow. just like, I can't believe it. Like, I that would be I so crazy and so scary. Like, can you imagine being, you live a couple houses down from them and this happens? They were killed and in that house. And the entire family goes missing, yeah. Just wow. so scary. So, so scary. Um, last email for the day. This one is titled, Welcome Back, Darcy. Yay. Uh, it says, we loved the change up when Darcy took a break, but we just want to say how glad we are that she is back. The interplay between the two of you and your separate strength is awesome. So welcome back, Darcy, and keep up the good work, you two. We are huge fans and can't wait to see where your podcast goes this year. Love, Katie and Liz. Thanks, Katie and Liz. Yeah. I'm glad to be back. That means right? school is l- less, less overwhelming. <laughs> Absolutely. And I get to do 100%. this this is a lot of fun. Well, it's not only is it fun, but it's kind of a stress relief for me, like getting and talking about crime and like getting in, digging into these cases and doing the research behind it and kind of talking about it and speculating on different things behind it. And granted, not everything we say on this show is fact. I just want to make that clear because we've had some comments in the past about people who are like, make it clear when you're talking about the difference between facts and court things that are specified in court documents. So we're going to try to do a better job of doing that. I'd say probably about 50% of what we say on the show is fact and 50% of it is opinion. (laughs) I think that's fair. Yeah. We're trying to be clear between those two things, make a dividing line that is very, very um, clear to the listeners. So we we will do a better job of that. Okay. Anything else? That's it. Thanks for the emails, guys. Yeah, keep it keep up those emails, guys. We like hearing from you. Um, this is the this is the point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Questions, comments, or suggestions, we highly suggest you keep them to yourself. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> Please shoot and us I'm an like, email. No. <laughs> shoot us an email. Give us a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you choose to listen to our podcast from. We like hearing back from you guys, even if it's not necessarily the nice fluffy things that we want to hear it gives us feedback that can help us improve the show for you guys so any emails oh you yeah have, it's certainly helpful any emails you have you can send to the bfd podcast at gmail.com we'll put that into show notes and please join us again next week when we talk more about weird wacky and wild stuff uh social media we are at the bfd podcast on twitter and instagram you can always communicate with us through that media as well absolutely dms and your tweets and all that kind of stuff but good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your best life bye bye guys